Um, hello and welcome to the Standing on the, Sh- on the Shoulders of Giants podcast. I'm your host, Alejandro Gutierrez, and my guest today is Professor of Finance at San Francisco State University, uh, Todd Feldman. Uh, disclaimer, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not financial or health advice. Please seek the advice of a licensed professional for your specific situation. All right. Well, thank you. I'm glad we could uh, finally uh, reschedule and, and uh, make this happen. Um, first, I want to uh, congratulate you on becoming a full-time professor. I think that was uh, last year. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for noticing. <laughs> oh, you're good. welcome. <laughs> oh, good. And the other thing I wanted to congratulate you on, you were awarded the Lamb Larson Distinguished Teaching Professor Award. Uh, correct. That's right. Oh, good. That that was also last year. It, it looks like. Uh, correct. That's right. Oh, good. Good. So, uh, first off, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, for our yeah, listeners, sure. uh, I uh, went to uh, graduate school at uh, University of California, Santa Cruz. Um, they have a program there, uh, international economics and finance. I studied under <clears throat> Dan Friedman which is uh, one of the pioneers of game theory and experimental economics, which uh, I found kind of interesting now because back then uh, he was thinking about that in the 80s. And that was kind of, he's studying like market design. Like how do you design a market in a laboratory setting? And I always thought that was kind of interesting. And it kind of turns out now uh, the internet is the laboratory and people are designing, you know, markets and um, using game theory and tokenomics, and it's kind of like playing on real life now. <laughs> oh, nice! So after that, yeah, then I um, got a job at San Francisco State. Uh, before that, I was consulting for a, a, a hedge fund, um, and that was that was a good experience. That was fun. Um, but my full-time job is, has been since 09, uh, working at San Francisco state. Since 09. Oh, good. Um, so I wanted to ask you, I, I know you've written for, uh, uh, some, uh, uh, financial journals. You, you've been featured in some publications. Um, and I was just wondering how you feel, uh, your research, uh, has uh, um, held up um, since you've uh, written it. I have a few in mind here. Uh, one was from 2015, buy and hold versus timing strategies. The winner is, does that ring a bell for you in terms of that research? Oh, yes, yes. How would you say your your findings uh, have held up since that was written or do they hold up? Um... Uh, good question. Um... I'm not, um, I have, I was following it, um, a little bit, bit, um, make to see, but I, I haven't in the last couple of years, this was following the leading economic indicator by the conference board, I guess. And, um, this came to, uh, this was a, this wasn't my idea, but it was approached to me and kind of, I helped kind of lead the research that, that idea was that, um, when this leading indicator, I think, decreases like three months in a row, 
um, that could be a sign of a forthcoming recession. The Commerce Board has this index uh, with a bunch of, I guess, leading indicators uh, like monetary growth and uh, things like that. Um, and let's see, it's in, it, 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 the problem with this uh, strategy is that it's it's relying on some government data, so there is like a, a lag time. Oh, I see. <clears throat> so the last reading was uh, for November 2021, and it was an increase, followed by increase in October, an increase in September. Um, so right now, there's no, according to these, uh, this indicator, there'd be no, there's no kind of sign of a recession or anything. As of right now, you're saying. That's right, but it, it but it is because of the data lag. Uh, you know, we're not up to date um, as of January. <laughs> oh, I see. Would you say, uh, 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 in terms of even right now with uh, inflation where it is, do you think it's being underreported, um, or, or would you say it's pretty right on the inflation numbers that we're getting right now? I think the CPI was currently around six percent. Um, are those numbers reliable if, if we're using the government's numbers to base anything on like even like your indicator, your leading indicators? <clears throat> oh, I mean, uh, it's, I mean, th- there's a debate about uh, whether this basket that the government um, has created is like appropriate. Because uh, obviously the things that we rely on the most, uh, education, uh, healthcare, and housing, those are the really big ticket items. Uh, and also things they kind of leave out like uh, saving for our retirement. Like how much do we need to really put away in order to <clears throat> feel secure uh, when we retire? And so when you when you kind of think about it in, in that way, the probably uh, inflation is it's probably higher than what they report. Uh, but that's always been the case. <laughs> um. Um, especially now, uh, you know, if we wanted to retire on um, kind of like a social security kind of way, uh, which is, you know, they take our money and invest it in treasuries. So uh, like a 30-year treasury, if I put uh, my retirement, you know, I'm earning like 2%, I don't know, uh, one point something or 2%, let's say, uh, for risk-free, you know, I'd have to save up $5 million to put into a risk-free asset that earns 2% in order to get a monthly allowance that kind of allows me to live. So that means I really got to grow up my asset base. Um, so, but you know, it, it is the inflation picture is difficult to read because, um, there's so much going on with the supply chain things of the world shifting, the world's shifted, uh, so much, so, uh, um, dramatically of how we're working, how we're living, people are moving, um, you know, the things that we're buying services versus goods and all these things have shifted so much and on top of that there's uh this money creation as well like extending of credit and all these things together 
create, I, I believe, a picture that's like really hard to um, kind of figure out um, where this inflation is going, if it's transitory or if it's here uh, for a long time. Uh, it's super cloudy. <laughs> it's, it's hard to figure out. I, I could totally agree with that. Um, that leads me to an, another one of your uh, journal articles from um, of all times, uh, 2009, titled Bubbles and Crashes, a Cyborg Approach. And just wondering, um, with these cycles of bubbles and crashes, um, where do you think we are in this cycle, if, 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 there, if we are in the, this cycle? Um, what you're saying with uh, acid inflation, um, any thoughts on that? <clears throat> oh, sure. In that paper, um, I used a uh, like a behavioral model that creates these bubbles and crashes, and then the humans uh, or, or subjects um, are buying and selling, and we're kind of um, analyzing their behavior, how to, uh, rea- their reaction to these kind of bubbles and crashes, and, and then we introduce uh, like artificial agents in there, robots, and the and then we. Um, analyze how the humans uh, change their decision-making behavior with the entry of these artificial agents. It was actually kind of one of the first papers to uh, analyze how robots and humans, their interaction may impact behavior. <laughs> oh, interesting. But in regards to like the bubbles and um, in today's markets, uh, I'm on the side of like the, the innovation side. I I see so much uh, going on, the world changing so much that there's bubbles in the legacy uh, world and not in the innovation world uh, like cryptocurrencies and uh, solar uh, electric vehicles. Uh, their um, value valuations may get ahead of themselves, but um, you know, things can change like super fast. Uh, when I think about, um, let's say like 2006, and if I told somebody like in 10 years, everyone's gonna be uh, looking down at their phone, uh, communicating on, you know, online, uh, sharing our houses and cars, it would have seemed uh, ridiculous. <laughs> I could totally see that. And I think that's how technology is. It kind of, it just, um, it seems slow moving. And then all of a sudden things change really fast. And I feel like we're kind of like coming towards that moment where things are going to change really fast. Uh, Essentially, I'm following a lot of the projects going on in um, the blockchain world. And um, if you look at these projects too, they're like, they make, a lot of them make a lot of sense. It's really hard to know how it's all going to play out, but you can just look at it and and see this uh, is superior to what we have uh, as far as the old uh, legacy kind of things. And it makes sense, like, um, you know, we're not going to need a regular bank. Um, uh, This project like Terra Luna looks cool. Like, uh, I can can um, save my money, earn like a decent interest rate, send and receive, uh, I can switch between uh, stable coin of USD to Euro to other currencies uh, really easily. 
Um, I can borrow uh, as long as I have collateral. And uh, it's the banking. The system's like right there on your phone, on a wallet. <laughs> oh, I see. I, I see a lot of um, emerging markets. They're almost a little bit more ahead of uh, uh, the United States uh, in terms of um, mobile banking. They, they almost skipped a step. It seems like we're, we, we are uh, possibly uh, being uh, held back by our legacy um, financial systems where some of these other countries, the emerging markets, have just skipped past that. And now all they have to do their banking is their mobile phone if they have a business. Um, with that in mind, I was wondering with the future of FinTech and DeFi, would you do you see it as inclusionary or exclusionary in terms of the uh, quote unquote unbanked? Oh yeah, it's like one of the most inclusionary um, technologies I guess, maybe ever because um, before with the internet, that was kind of an idea that the emerging markets would um, develop faster uh, as with the internet. But the one piece that was missing is uh, the this layer of the value and being able to transfer value. Because uh, if if you're an entrepreneur in a different country, let's say you're starting your own Uber or Airbnb, uh, if you, you can't transfer value uh, effectively and efficiently, it really uh, makes it difficult to create a business. Uh, and plus, you know, anybody, it's permissionless, so anybody in the world uh, can enter into these uh, DeFi or at these applications. There's no, um, you know, there's a no like watermark. For example, in this legacy system, I small business i want to borrow five thousand dollars two thousand dollars a bank wouldn't do it because it's not worth their time but in this uh, decentralized world where it's it's like a collective pool it doesn't matter uh, i can borrow a small amount of money <laughs> it, it's it's uh you're saying it's it's like um uh, micro loans or crowdfunding Oh, that's right. It, I mean, you can borrow or lend a very small amount because it's all about uh, the pooling of the money. So oh, if I, I had a dollar or, or I take a dollar, yeah, the technology will figure it out. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, um, these hmm. are like smart contracts, I think, that'll uh, execute these uh, situations. <clears throat> uh, correct. That's right. If the fees aren't uh, super high, uh, which in uh, right now, some of the platforms like Ethereum, they're super high, but some of the other ones I'm playing around with um, on Cosmos, or Osmosis, like the, it's uh, where the congestion isn't bad. Uh, yeah, it's super cheap. <laughs> and I think oh. that's where it'll, it'll go eventually. <laughs> it, 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 it'll be uh, driving down prices when you get more competition in the DeFi world. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and once they figure out the technology, too, that's what Ethereum they're trying to do right now is figure out the right way to get these prices down. Um, so it's hard uh, when you decentralize they have that trilemma problem of you decentralize, then it's hard. It's hard to scale. So you want decentralization, but you want scalability. So you're kind of compromising between that those. Oh, interesting. 
I was going to ask you, you um, uh, made a comment uh, regarding something that Ray Dalio uh, posted about what I really think about Bitcoin. And you uh, uh, wrote evolution of money and energy based money, a huge bump in evolution. For this reason, it is hard to comprehend its its potential impact fully. Um, and so I was wondering if you can talk about that. And you spent some time in uh, El Salvador, I think, before uh, Bitcoin became um, went live there. What would you say um, in terms of your time there in El Salvador and their adoption of, uh, of Bitcoin? Um, any, any thoughts there? Or have you been following the situation since your time there? Oh, yeah, I think it's great. Uh, it makes sense that a, a smaller country uh, kind of experiments with it. <clears throat> and we kind of see as a world, uh, you know, how they benefit from it. But um, yeah, like, like you were saying, you know, emerging markets are adopting, you know, they have the mobile phones already, uh, but there is no um, banking system infrastructure, really. <laughs> you have to travel. Uh, when I lived in a, the village, you know, I had to travel hours um, just to get to a bank. And then once I got to the bank, there's a huge line. Um, so it was like, a, it would take, um, you know, maybe six hours traveling back and forth, waiting an hour online just to go to the bank. <laughs> oh, I see. And that, that, that's like people's every day, or, you know, that's it. This is like, it, so now if you have internet connection, a mobile phone, you can do it. You're banking in, you know, a minute or seconds or <laughs> and that that's so powerful uh, also with the remittances uh, El Salvador is a huge uh, remittance uh, country mm -hmm. I think it was like a million I don't know if this data is still correct a million people uh, live El Salvadorans live in the United States and the population maybe seven million in El Salvador so like a huge percent of the population is in the US sending money and of course you know you know you you try to send a hundred dollars you spend like ten to twenty dollars to do so with uh moneygram or you know one of these uh, services so so in that way um you know sometimes people in the communities they would need money um they get money once a month from their family but they ideally they would get it maybe just when they needed it or they get it every couple of days or something oh i see um because sometimes they'll spend it before they get the next allotment but it never made sense to send like little like 10 here and there they'd always the family member had to save up a decent amount and then send it oh i see it'll streamline this process i think of remittances oh yeah for sure yeah definitely so I wanted to ask you, um, these are actually all really good insights. Um, could you talk more about um, SF States? Uh, there'll be a conference on fintech, innovation, inclusion, and risk at the, um, the dates I have are March 4th and March 5th. Uh, can you tell us more about that or uh, what the status of that is? Well, yeah, of course. Uh, um, we're partnering with, uh, you see Santa Cruz and San Francisco uh, Fed, Federal Reserve System, uh, to create um, a conference on, you know, fintech, mostly, uh, you know, like banking, payments, as well as um, 
cryptocurrencies and um, kind of like what's going on there. And uh, we're just trying to invite uh, academics as well as uh, regulators and uh, industry uh, folks to kind of uh, have a good you know, conversation about you know where they see this industry going, how it should be regulated, uh, what are the uh, risks, uh, what are the, the benefits of this kind of financial system transition. Uh, and so right now things are going well where we have um, a bunch of speakers um, who've accepted or who've um, uh, who sim submitted kind of um, interesting papers and uh, presentations and they've accepted. Uh, just the one thing we're just trying to figure out is um, we were going to hold it on the SF State campus, but because of this variant, we're not uh, sure about that anymore. <laughs> oh, I see. I know it's, things are kind of changing uh, by the week. Correct. That's right. <laughs> are, are tickets available to this already or how, how do people sign up our audience? Um, yeah, I can send you... Uh, I'm not sure yet because we're still trying to figure um, if this is virtual or not. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, it'll be a link or tickets. Okay. Exactly. That's right. But uh, okay. I can send it to you um, when we have that, when it's available. Oh, cool. Cool. I'll definitely look out for that and I'll, I'll post that in the show notes. Okay. Well, great. Awesome. And so last few um, things I want to ask you, do you have like a health routine, especially during pandemic to keep your 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 body fit um and any daily inspiration for your mental game that you um that you follow that you've been um any routines that you that have helped you oh yeah sure <laughs> uh on the health front let's see uh um on the health and as well as mental as well and my discipline is sometimes not that great but i i feel it's the most it's super powerful and um it's one of the best things to do uh it's very cost effective <laughs> it's just um like uh breathing uh like practicing your breath so i try to do that at least in when i wake up or before i go to bed just uh, like diaphragmic breathing and oh, I see. Comes like your body, and um, it's like so powerful. It's more powerful. Uh, usually, we think we gotta go. It's like card cardio is good too. I try to do some cardio. Get outside. <laughs> just like get outside. Like just like the idea of breathing, cardio, or walking outside. Oh, I see nature. Okay. Nature breathing. Yeah. <laughs> I try to like get some of that in at least uh, each day. That's, that seems like a, especially now with the not so sunny days. Um, any books that you're reading right now or that you would recommend? Um, I, I'm reading just a, you know, I'm trying to create a, a new class for the Spintech Fellows Program um, that kind of goes all into the e whole entire ecosystem of crypto of the nfts and the web 3.0 and all these you know names yeah DeFi had a like it tried to teach a class like as a laboratory um oh so not just theoretical like actually hands-on oh correct you know or 
this kind of confusing like how do i um, you know um, this is one coin i wanted it's like this decentralized um, cloud idea um, where people rent out their server space so instead of like a amazon or a google holding all the data it's it'll be spread across various servers owned by different entities oh i see and what's this called again this is called an a cash so <laughs> i was like oh i want to put some money in here or like how would i do it or how would i teach my students and it's like it's confusing <laughs> so it's like uh kind of just teaching how to like navigate this space because you're uh, you know you have to buy from exchange you send to a wallet you connect to this uh swapping application then you um deposit your assets into this application then you swap it to from one coin to a cash and you withdraw it back to your wallet <laughs> there's like oh, all these steps <laughs> is so navigating the, the world is kind of confusing i would definitely agree with that as well i've been playing with um uh um some hot wallets yeah um, like metamask and uh, brave wallets oh right yeah yeah and then i have some um uh hard wallets uh treasure that i'm getting set up and i have a keystone hard uh hard wallet but that that's it it is very spatial where you kind of have to actually play with it and see how qr codes send you know um data and where it is it's kind of keeping track of where where something is it's it goes here or like what you're saying you're, you exchange it uh so there's definitely a spatial element to understanding how these uh how these um um this stuff works for sure yeah that's right i feel like you have to play with it and and i think make um uh, i've discovered making small mistakes is better so i think you know with small amounts of of money and currencies playing with those and seeing okay oh it where did it go following that chain and then you know before you know playing with like big money you know so exactly <laughs> well cool uh, uh, there's a book called defi and the future of finance i just started to read it before the class for this class by um campbell harvey's a well-known finance uh, professor I'll have to look for that. I'll put that in the show notes. Have you read uh, the big the Bitcoin standard? Oh, yeah, I have. Yes. Yep. Oh, cool. I think I just got my copy. Uh, I read that, I think, uh, during the summer last year. And the new one I just uh, picked up is his uh, new book, The Fiat Standard. Have, have you gotten that one yet or is it on your queue? I haven't read that one yet, but I did listen to the author talk about the book on a podcast. It seems yeah, he has a lot of insights, interesting things to say. Definitely, definitely. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time, Professor Feldman. I appreciate uh, uh, your insights. And I'll put uh, um, notes um, on our uh, chat. Um, I'll upload those. And I'll let you know when I when I uh, get it all um, edited and, and queued up. But um, I'll make sure to uh, mention also the, the uh, FinTech conference as well um, at SF State, if it happens virtually or not. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Alejandro. That was really cool. Oh, good. Thank you again for your time. It was really fun chatting about these subjects. And I'm sure there'll be, if, if you're open to it, uh, a part two, we can get delve deeper into the, the crypto rabbit hole. 
Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. Great. Uh, have a good Friday. Yeah, you too. All right. Be well. Take it easy. Bye bye.